Do you believe that God is merciful? Okay. Do you believe that God has a purpose for you? Do you believe that God is powerful? It is attributed to an Anglo-Irish writer, Jonathan Swift, to have said that vision is the art of seeing what is invisible to others. Vision is the art of seeing what is invisible to others. I want to, with your permission, draw your attention to an artist. His workshop, his design, his mercy, and his integrity. As mentioned in your bulletin, there are three questions. One, what are you really doing with your life right now? That's a good question. It's a good, depending on what you say, that can last a long time in answering that question. What are you really doing with your life? If I stop there, you might not focus on the right now aspect of it. Second question, are you stressed? Some people use that as a daily dose. Are you feeling bent out of place or shape? Are you scared or scarred? Are you pressured? Or are you on easy street? If you're on easy street, smile. Mm, I'm not looking. Third question. What is God doing in your life? What is God doing in your life right now? I want to draw your attention. Could you please take your library out, please? And take off the shelf the book of Jeremiah. Now, some people have libraries in different formats. You have your digital electronic. You have the hard, bulky copy of your library. Jeremiah, and this is not Jerry Sawyer, from Abaco. This is another Jeremiah whose daddy was Hilkiah, who lived about three miles northeast of Jerusalem. Came from a godly family, a priesthood, was called by God when he was very young. Given a, some restriction, one was that he is not to get married. Obviously, he's out of that. He was not to have children. And of course, you know, in the Jewish culture, getting married was a big thing. But this was not to be Jeremiah's lot. Not only that, he had a message to give, a very unpleasant message. He had to tell the house of Israel, his Jewish brothers and sisters, that they were going to be destroyed. That's not good news. And because that's not good news, some people can attack the messenger because he's bringing bad news. But remember now, Jeremiah has been given this directive from God himself. As a matter of fact, of interest, if you wish, look at Jeremiah chapter 20 when you have the time. And read between verses 7, 8, 9, 
and you might find how Jeremiah really felt about this task that God has given to him. As a matter of fact, he was very blunt. He says that God, in essence, you have deceived me. You set me up. You send me to these people to tell them this bad news. And they don't, they're not listening. And yet, it's been my lot to keep telling them. And not only that, my family, the boys in the hood, they don't like me because of what I am saying. So much so that they're even trying to kill me. And I still can't get married. Lord, you set me up. <laughs> you deceived me. I don't know if I like this job. But that was Jeremiah. Sometimes you might think he's referred to as the weeping prophet. But he was very emotional. He was a caring person. He's concerned about people. And in this case, for those people that he cared for, he had to bring bad news. There is hope. Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 through 10. I'm reading from the English study Bible or version. From verses 1 through 10. The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this porter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the porter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I have intended to do to it. Verse 9. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listened to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Let's pause there for the moment. You will of interest note that having said this and been given this message, just the next two verses will tell you that even when this message was delivered, the people basically says, no, we are not going to obey. I want to say to you this morning, my brothers and sisters this afternoon, that we are involved in a lifelong art project. We want our lives to turn out the best possible way for us. So 
we are consumed with crafting circumstances, people and work, and dreams to our advantage. We plan for the best job, we want the best family, we want to be in the best neighborhood, we want the best of everything that we can think of, of this because we are constantly trying to shape ourselves into this particular form that we envision ourselves being in. And so whether or not we are conscious of it or not, we are indeed diligent craftsmen. I'm always impressed, rather intrigued, of the creativity of some women. There are, some, there are those who like to uh, watch a certain television program where they are constantly remodeling home. And their television station is locked on that all the time, which will drive me body, you know, to watch. But there's another group of ladies who are so artistic that when they are driving, because I've seen them in my rearview mirror on occasions, putting on makeup while they're driving, it's incredible. And this is not just the now, I may get this thing wrong. Is there powder? Or you call it blush? Okay. It's something like that. When it's going on, that general area of the face, I guess. But this person, and I'm talking about the woman who's driving, not the passenger. But if you happen to see her, you know, and if you pull up to a roundabout where you have to slow down, she takes out her artistic uh, instruments and, and tools. And she's very quickly, I'm not sure whether she's looking at the mirror at herself or looking straight ahead through the windshield or watching her rearview mirror, but she's putting it on. That's, that's probably most people, I suppose that's a novice at that stage. But then there are those who choose to put on, I've heard this term called lip liner. Yeah? The little pencil and they outline the lips. <laughs> With, now they're driving and I'm wondering how they can stay online you know, so they do not draw another lip, you know, that does not fit their lips. But they're doing it, and I guess by the time they get to their workplace, it's perfectly done. Now, I guess, again, and my assumption is that maybe they did not have time at home to complete this process. Then, the most dangerous of all, then they decide to do something that has something to do with your eyes. It's called mass something. Cara, yes. Yeah. But, but, but now working around the lips is not so bad, but working around your eyes while you're driving with this thing that they dip in this little jar, I mean, I don't know what, bottle. And, and then as they are driving, <laughs> they are very good, artistic indeed. And still, I guess, didn't run into the back of my vehicle. <laughs> um, they're very artistic. And so I, I'm totally convinced that we are indeed good craftsmen, highly skilled. But the one that I want to talk to you this morning about is even better than those women who's put on makeup while driving, that delicate process. He is what we would call the master, the divine porter. The prophet here in Jeremiah is here sent to the porter's house. Now, of course, I guess 
with that kind of direction, he must have known that there must have been one local porter. And so everybody in the neighborhood knew where this porter's house was. And so he did not ask God, which, which one? Or, or where is this exactly? Which street is it on? Just go to the porter's house. Not to preach a sermon, as before to the gates of Jerusalem, but to prepare a sermon, or, or rather to receive it already prepared. There's a difference. Are you going to collect a sermon, or are you going there to prepare a sermon? I'm telling you, he went to collect a sermon. Those needed not to study the sermon that had them already prepared. Go to the porter's house and observe how he manages his work. And there I will cause thee, I like this, to hear my words. I will cause thee to hear my words. God is, he intrigues me with the way he interacts with his people. How he causes us to remember what do you think is very important? A good example would be our focus this morning on the Lord's table. We do it twice a month, every month, morning and evening. Sometimes we may miss the significance because it becomes so routine for us. We tend to forget or totally become oblivious to the significance of the event. But God likes to use word pictures. There thou shalt receive a message to be delivered to the people. Note, those that would know God's mind must observe his appointments and attend where they may hear his words. Again, if you want to know God's mind, you must observe or keep his appointments with you, and then you will hear his words. The prophet was never disobedient to the heavenly instruction, and therefore went to the porter's house and took notice of how he wrought his work upon the wheels, just as he pleased with a great deal of ease and in little time. And when a lump of clay that he designed to form into a shape either proved too stiff or had a stone or some other defect in it, or some way or another was marred in his hand. He presently turned it into another shape. If it will not serve for a vessel of honor, it will be served for a vessel of dishonor. But just as it seems good to the porter. May I suggest to you this morning, this afternoon, that you and I are the clay in the porter's hands. My question is, what is God working on you about and for? What shape is he crafting you into right now? Is it possible that your physical circumstance might be the cause or something God is working on? Could it be that your economic stance is something God is working on right now? He is the master artist. He is the porter. We, though, as clay, we are reluctant to relax in the hands of the porter. And I believe we are reluctant to do that for one primary reason, and that is this. 
we forget, we have forgotten why we exist. We have forgotten, and that's a softer word rather than saying intentionally, choose not to directly disobey, reject why we were made, why we exist. To that end, let me ask you to do me a favor. Let's see. In front of you, in the pew, most of you, a few of you in the balcony, under the armrest of your chair, someone was chewing some chewing gum and they stick it under your chair. Um, could you take it out, please? Oh, I'm sorry, I mean, that was not a chewing gum. I, I put some clay there this morning. Could you take it out, please? I did the same thing down here, those of you, except for those who are seated in this general area. For those who are seated at the front row here, the main column of the seat that is supporting you, that is not faith, that's wood. There, up to the top of it, there's a little, it will feel like chewing gum. I, I assure you, it is not chewing gum. So you can, you can take it out. It is clay. Those of you who are seated in the regular pew, where the book rack is, if you feel in the middle of the book rack, you'll feel a little thing, take it out and hold it in your hand. There are some who have it red, there are some yellow, there might be some green, there might be an orange, there might be a red. You have it? Some people got it. Yes. I remind you, as one of my sisters this morning thought I had candy, and she already told me she's, I was going to give, I would have called her name and say she was Sister Stewart, but you all might know who she is. So I'm not going to tell you. Okay. She told me already as soon as she spotted that she told me how many calories in that that I shouldn't eat it. I agree. But I can assure her that it has low calories. <laughs> now, what you have in your hand, and this is to imitate so that you can remember you went to church today. That's a clay. Let me ask you a question while you're holding it in your hand. Those who found it. Again, it's in the book rack. There were three. One to the end, one to the middle of the book rack, one to the end. So if you feel it, take it off. Most of you then in your pew, because most persons do not have more than six persons in the pew, you would have found the clay. Now tell me something. Looking at the clay, and it's very small, it doesn't say anything. It's just there. If you, here's what I want, here's your challenge. By the end of the service, you will be given a prize for being as creative as you can in terms of telling me what you can make out of the clay. Because you are now the new porter of the clay. The clay should not resist you. You have total, absolute control over the clay. We assume, as clay, that we exist for our own sake, for our own feelings, for our own dreams. You've heard about clay esteem, haven't you? Maybe in the book they have it, self-esteem. That's important. You've heard also about clay actualization, contemporarily self-actualization. You've also heard about clay fulfillment, self-fulfillment. When I put clay in front of it, it almost sounds ridiculous, doesn't it, a little bit. Whoever talk about clay esteem, clay actualization, clay self-fulfillment, oblivious, I think, clueless 
to the infinitely larger purpose of our formation. When the artist is allowed to do his work, the clay displays the creativity of the heart and the mind of the artist. Isn't that true? Some people have what they call fine china. I've heard that. Now, not the whole country of China, just the fine china. Okay. And some people have those things locked up, stored up, because they were given us precious, special, expensive gifts. And so you don't take them out often. You certainly don't let your children touch them. You know. So these you take up, mind you, didn't they come from the same base? And they were put in the kilt and heated, baked, waxed and polished, put aside. And if you put some of this unique, your hand paint certain patterns on them so that this becomes an original. And some people stamp their names on the bottom and say, this is that special piece because this particular artist who is so well-renowned has made this. I have a set. Do you have one? Uh-uh. i still drinking out of grape leaf. So I don't have them kind of stuff. All right? But it's the same thing. This clay that we have, this clay who we are, is an amazing thing. But only when it allows the, the, the porter to do what, his thing, what he thinks best. When you look at anything, you say, boy, this is nice. Do you always think about the artist who designed that? When you go into the store to purchase anything and you say, I like that, oh, this is nice. You never thought about the person who at some point, because what you saw or so intrigued about, had to begin someplace in the mind of someone. You don't know, I don't think, at least I certainly don't fall in that category, of asking the shop or the, the salesperson in the store, could you please tell me um, how I can contact the designer of this shoe, clothing, this jewelry? You know, I, I'd like to tell them how creative they were. I really thank them for showing their creativity in designing this particular item. No, we don't even go that far. But behind all of that, there was a designer. It is probably in the case of Jeremiah that he knew well enough how the porter wrought his work and how easily he can throw it into any form he pleased. But he must go down there anyhow. God said, go down there and observe. And observe now that having the idea of it fresh in his mind, he might be more readily and distinctly to apprehend the truth which God wanted him to know. Watch the design of what he is doing. Watch what is taking place when he puts this clay on the, on the wheel, this instrument that they were using back then. And when you come to a part that was, any, change it right before you. Isn't it true? that your life can change or your circumstances can change in an instant. Some people will tell you stories, and I'm sure if you had the opportunity, you can tell of stories. You say, but I just saw them yesterday. They were so this. And then, oh, I just spoke with them early today. I just saw. And then suddenly something changed. The same could happen in our lives. God used similitudes, similarities, metaphors by his servant, the prophet. Do you remember in Hosea 12.10, he uses it. He makes a statement there. And it was a requisite that they should themselves understand the similitudes they use. In other words, if you're going, God's telling you to use this. Remember now what God is doing with Jeremiah. I need you to go and tell the people this message, O house of Israel. 
something. But before you tell them, I'm going to show you a picture. Because we tend to remember, doesn't it say that a picture is worth a thousand words? You know. So I want you to watch this for a while. Watch the porter working, doing his work. Watch this artist doing his work. And then having watched, then God is going to say what he really wants to say to them. So that when you go to tell the people, you understand the process. And you can use this word picture to relate a message to his people. I think that's extremely important for persons who speak, ministers or other persons, doing your one-on-one witnessing to other people. I think ministers will make good use of their conversation with their business of sharing their faith and affairs of life if they learn thereby to speak more plainly and familiarly with people about the things of God and to expound scripture by comparisons. For they ought to make all their knowledge in some way or another serviceable to their calling. Now let us see what the message is which Jeremiah received and is entrusted with at the porter's house. While he looks carefully upon the porter's work, God darts into his mind these two truths, which he must preach to the house of Israel. One, that God has both the incontestable authority and an irresistible ability to form and to fashion kingdoms and nations as he please, so as to serve his own purpose. You look at that, you can see that the porter has absolute control, uncontestable authority, irresistible ability to form and to fashion kingdoms and nations as he pleases. First thing, have not I an absolute or power over you in respect both to might and right? Nay, God has a clearer title to dominion over us than the porter over the clay. The clay that you have, some of you, in your hands. If you put it down, it stays there, usually. If it walk away, let me know. <laughs> all right. But generally, all you have is control to squeeze it, push it, twist it, turn it into what you want. That's the level of our influence as porters over the clay. But in God's case, the porter not only gives, in our case, we only give form, whereas we have both, we have both matter and form from God. And when I think of myself, when you think of yourselves as clay, God not only has power and absolute control over how he forms us, he gives us substance. He's the one that even made the clay, make up the components of the clay, and to form it. So you can understand that he have uncontestable authority over us. As the clay is in the porter's hand to be molded and shaped as he pleases, so are you in my hand, says the Lord. And this tells me this. It intimates this. One, that God has an incontestable sovereignty over us. It is not debtor to us, may dispose of us as he thinks fit, and is not accountable to us, and that he would be And it would be absurd for us to dispute this as for the clay to quarrel with the porter. Also, while you're holding that in your hand, if you hear the clay talking to you, um, let your neighbor know, all right? Because we need the clay out of here (laughs) fast. Secondly, it is a very easy thing with God to make what use he pleases of us and what changes 
he pleases him with us and that we cannot resist him on turn of one turn of the hand one turn of the wheel quite alters the shape of the clay it makes it a vessel or unmakes it or remakes it very simple thus god doesn't need a lot of things god can just in a twinkling of an eye in a moment changes your circumstances causes you to think and to be in different circumstances because that's him he is absolute and he has absolute power thus are our times in god's hand and not in our own and it is in vain for us to strive with him it is spoken here of nations the most politic and the most potent are what god is pleased to make them and no other in job you remember chapter 12 23 it says he increases increases the nations and destroyeth them he enlarges the nations and straightens the spring and straightens them again he changes rivers into wilderness and springs of water into a thirsty ground and then in isaiah it says all nations before god are as a drop in the bucket soon to be wiped away or the small dust on the balance soon to be blown away and therefore no doubt as easily managed as the clay by the potter you and i are the clay we are in god's hands that god will not be a loser by any of his glory in the long run but if he is not glorified by them he will be glorified upon them if the potter's vessel be mad for one use it shall serve for another those that will not be monuments of mercy shall be monuments of justice what do you prefer from god mercy or justice i opt for mercy justice i have no legs to stand on i am guilty i prefer his mercy and so if god wants to use me so that i can display his mercy i'm signing up if i choose to resist god will still be glorified because he will make sure that his glory is even on me crush me puts me to the side so that i may be remembered as that's the person who received the justice of god as opposed to the mercy of god you and i are the clay god formed us out of clay job tells us that nay and we are still clay in his hands today and has not the same power over us and does he not has the same power over us that the potter has over the clay and are we not bound to submit as the clay in the potter's to the potter's wisdom and to his will yet the piece of clay that you have in your hand is totally at your mercy you squeeze it some people pinched it some people are now sticking it with little things that put some pattern on it yeah artist you are second that in the existence of this authority and ability he always goes by fixed rules that is god of equity and goodness he dispenses favor indeed in a way of his sovereignty but never punishes arbitrarily capriciously haphazardly using his power high psalm 89:13 tells us high is his right hand yet he rules not with high hand but as it follows here justice and judgment 
are the habitations of his throne. God asserts his despotic power and tells us what he might do, but at the same time assures us that he will act as a righteous and merciful judge. I am so thankful for that. God will come to us. The question is, is he coming against us or he's coming to bless us? When God is coming against us in a way of judgment, we may be sure that it is for our sins, which shall appear by this, that national repentance will stop the progress of the judgment. If God speaks concerning a nation to pluck up its fences that secure it and to lay it open and its fruit trees that are adorned and enriched it, and so leave it desolate to pull down its fortifications that the enemies may have liberty to enter it, its habitations and its inhabitants may be under necessity of going out and so destroy it as either a vineyard is destroyed or a city is destroyed. And in this case, if that nation takes the lamb or hears the lamb and repent of their sins and reform their lives, repent, turn to God, turn everyone from his evil way and return to God, God will graciously accept them will not proceed in the controversy or controversy, will return in mercy to them. And though he cannot change his mind, he will change his way, so that it may be said, he repents him of the evil he said he would do to them. Thus, after in the time of the judges, when the oppressed people were penitent people, still God raised them up saviors. And when they turned to God, their affairs immediately took on a new turn. Do you remember the case of Nineveh? They were supposed to be destroyed, but the whole nation repented. And God changed his mind. God repented from passing judgment and destroying them. That's our God. That's mercy. God can also come towards us in ways of mercy. And any stop, if any stop, is given to that mercy, is given because, again, sin blocks it. Jeremiah 18.9, if God speaks concerning a nation to build and to plant it, to advance and establish all the true interest of it, it is his husbandry and his building. And if he speaks in favor of it, it is done, it is increased, it is enriched, it is enlarged, its trade flourishes, its government is settled in good hands, and all its affairs prosper and its enterprises succeed. But if this nation, which God is thus loading with benefits, do evil in his sight and obey not his voice, if it lose its virtue and become a debauch and profane people, if religion grows into contempt and evil, immorality, sin, and vice become fashionable, and so be kept in continence and reputation, and there be no general decay of serious godliness among them, then God will turn his hand against them, will pluck up what he is planting, and pull down what he was building. Jeremiah 45, 4. The good work that was in the doing shall stand still and left to fall, and what favors were further designed shall be withheld, and this is called his repenting of good, wherewith he said he would benefit them. 
as he changed in his purpose concerning Eli's house and hurried Israel back into the wilderness that you know the story when they had just been brought within sight of Canaan land, but because of sin, they were turned back into the wilderness. I'm here to say again this afternoon, my brothers, that note that sin is a great mischief maker between God and the people, between the clay and the porter. This sin caused the forfeiture of the benefits of his promise. It spoils the success of our prayers. It defeats his kind intentions concerning us. It baffles their pleasing expectation from him. Sin ruins their comfort, prolongs their grievances, brings them into dire straits, and retards their deliverance. In conclusion, let me mention three things. As clay, one clay to another clay. Trials are tools of the porter. Trust him. Trust the divine porter. Trust him completely. Love him. Comply with him. He is deeply invested in his work. He makes no duplicates, only originals. There is nothing more beautiful than his artwork. We are his workmanship, his masterpieces in progress. Secondly, repentance is necessary when the clay has lost its moisture and become hardened and non-pliable. Remember that his blessings comes to those who bend. And thirdly, finally, if our lives are going to have any message at all, it isn't going to come from an exchange of information about God. It's going to come from an experience with God. God at work in our lives, showing us what he is like as an artist, showing us what he is like in the extravagance of his mercy, in the extravagance of his purpose for us, in the extravagance of his power. God is the master artist. What is he doing in your life as a clay? Let us pray. Our Father, thank you for Jeremiah. Thank you for sending him down to the porter's house. Thank you for causing us this day to visit the porter's house. Thank you for focusing our thoughts on ourselves as clay in your hands. Cause us to be compliant, pliable, so that you can make us into whatever you want to make us. That is our purpose, the sole reason for our existence, so that we might magnify you, so that we can speak eloquently to those around us about your glory your peace, for we were made to serve the Lord. Thank you for this opportunity and this great privilege. In Jesus' name, amen.